Father in heaven, thank you so much, God, just for being so amazing. Uh, it is incredible to look around, God, and see so many people from all walks of life uh, just trying to live for you, God. Uh, I, I praise you, Lord, for the for the the team that put this entire weekend together, God. I praise you for the fact that you are making us whole, God. And we don't have to seek outward to gain what we already have. Lord God, I ask that you move me out the way and you speak, God, what will encourage your sons and daughters. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, inspired to be whole. That is the title of this weekend. And from what I've heard, it has been amazing so far. Hopefully I don't mess it up. Uh, I'm one of three speakers today, so I'm going to kick this off. It's going to be great. So we're going to start off when the clicker works. All right. We're going to start off strong here. Uh, this is obviously a picture of a tombstone, right? No matter where you raised, no matter the color of your skin, no matter how much money you make, we all share these two dates. The day we're brought into this world and the day that we'll leave it. And we can't control when we're born, and we can't control when we leave, but we can control what happens in between. And so my encouragement to you this morning is not to get you psyched out or, get, or, or kind of be morbid, but to really think about what is given to us, and to think about whether or not we are using that line in between to the full. Uh, my first point today is to pursue spiritual friendships. How do we live a life to the full? We pursue spiritual Friendships. Turn with me to First Peter. First Peter chapter five. It says, "Be sober." I'll, I'll share from the Amplified version uh, on, on my scripture, just to give a little more like color to it. Uh, be sober, well balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. So it's a weird thing to share about like friendships, right? Uh, I share this description and I share this picture because I believe that it can help us renew our mindset about our friendships. Um, so I, I don't know why I thought this, but I did. I thought that like in the wild, the elephants had like their own neighborhood and then the lions had like their own neighborhood, you know, like, and I guess they would cross paths and meet up at the, you know, the water or whatever. I don't know why I thought that, but it's the wild. So what, what amazes me is that literally the elephants can be doing their thing and the lion will be right there. He'll be just close enough. He or she will be just close enough that I can see you. I may not be attacking you, but you best believe I'm watching. Uh, and it makes me think that this scripture, uh, because Satan can be prowling. He can be watching. He can be waiting for us to fall short, waiting for us to be upset or angry or compromised in our time with God. Not quite attacking, but just waiting for that opportunity. These elephants, I'm sure, are trained to be cautious, to be alert at all times. But we can't see Satan. And so we need spiritual friendships to see our blind spots and to help us to remember that this is a battle. The second thing that I get out of this is, uh, not this picture, but I'll go to the next one. There's a video that you can pull up. Um, I don't know if it's a bit much, but uh, when elephants are in labor, the whole herd is involved. The entire herd surrounds the mother who's giving birth, and they make noise, and they kick up dust, and they do all of this to throw the scent off for the lion, so they can't smell the young, and they don't go after their young. I'm like, yo, that's amazing. Like, who, who taught them that? <laughs> I don't know. Um, clearly, they know that there's a threat to their young, 
And so they, they, they band together, they work together to throw the lion off the scent and to make sure to keep each other safe. Do we have the same mindset about each other? See, Satan doesn't mind us going to church. He doesn't mind us going to Bible school for midweek. Uh, he even doesn't mind if we read our Bibles. But Satan does not want us to obey, to do what it says. And that's the point of building spiritual friendships. Not just to have people to hang out or to kick it with, but you can't do that, please do that. The point of having spiritual friendships is to have people who help you obey God's word, even when you don't want to. People who help you hold on to God's promises when life gets tough. You know, we see that there is strength in spiritual friendships throughout the Bible. David had his mighty men, and then he also had Nathan. Jesus had his 12, but then he also had his three. Paul had all kinds of friendships. Paul's goals. Uh, in Romans 16, he names 34 people by name who he had friendships with and relationships with. But then he also had Titus and he had Timothy who he was training. It's clear if we look at the Bible as a whole that we weren't meant to do this alone. So family, who do you have in your life? Ephesians 4 reminds us of God's vision for the church and his vision for our relationships. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God's church is designed for spiritual friendships. Man, this picture gets to me. I'm like back there, like, yo, why am I, what's going on? Why am I, my tears? Um, you know, this photo gets to me because these are, are men that God has placed in my life. Uh, and they really encourage my soul. Um, I, I moved to New York six years ago. I don't have any family here. All I have is an internship. And I'm like, oh, now I'm a disciple. I just got baptized maybe a month prior. And, uh, man, spiritual friendships are life-saving. Yes, what encourages my soul about these men is their faith, their walk with God, the way they use their gifts to serve, the way they chase their dreams with faith, the way they persevere through loss and heartache, their discipline. I could go on. And these are just the men. It's just the picture that I found. There are more. And there are sisters. And there are older sisters. And there are older brothers. But the point is, I gain so much through spiritual friendships, emphasis on the spiritual. But God also gives me the opportunity to be like those elephants. And to love and to protect and to encourage my brothers and sisters when they're in danger. So what are your convictions about your friendships? Do you pursue them or do you let yourself be isolated? Family, let's keep it real. We have work to do. We need to open up our circle of friends. We need to mix and mingle with other ministries. Because Satan wants us to think that we're alone. But we are not. But Tim, I just don't seem to connect with anyone. But Tim, I'm, I feel like I'm always the one giving, but I'm never receiving. My encouragement to you is simple. My encouragement to you is simple. Don't quit and be the friend you want to have. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Don't quit, family. Continue to love. Continue to encourage. Continue to reach out. And then do unto others as you would have them do to you. Be that friend that you would want to have. If nobody's initiating, you initiate. If nobody's setting stuff up, you set stuff up. If nobody's inviting over, you invite people over. These are some practicals really quickly for your life. Pray with people, invite people into your homes, dream for people, and be consistent. You know, we may not really reach out, because uh, as adults, I feel like we have to work a little bit harder, right? Our friends aren't necessarily, um, they don't just happen, typically. We have to work for them, but we have to prioritize this. Because that is the full life that God has in store for us. Not when we're isolated and vulnerable, but when we're being fulfilled by our friendships that are spiritual. Um, just a quick aside. Uh, y'all know I just got married. And, uh, and it is absolutely amazing, but I want to make sure that I address just a couple of things. Because I also think that part of having a full life is having a proper perspective on marriage. Um, whether we're single, dating or married, or we have kids, God still has a vision for us to be whole and to live a full life. And for the record, marriage is not the pinnacle of spiritual maturity. It is just another phase where God uses to work on our character and our faith. It is not a graduation from our single life. But trust and believe it will reveal our true character and whether our convictions are deeply rooted or shallow. Study out those one another scriptures. I guarantee I'm putting them into practice. Be, be patient. Be clothed with compassion. And give us a love for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Man, it is work, but it is beautiful. But we have to have a proper perspective so that our hearts are thinking that we lack something that we already have. A full life is one that is filled with deep spiritual friendships. We cannot be too busy to fight for spiritual friendships because they save lives. How do we live a full life? We pursue spiritual friendships. And then, and then, oops, and then we persevere. Uh, James 1, starting in verse 2, says, Consider it joy, consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. God has a plan for whatever you're going through. I know we all have something in our lives that we need to persevere through. Just living in New York can feel like a trial sometimes, right? Just trying to get to work, man, don't let it be raining, right? It's a trial, it's tough. A lot of people out here. Uh, but on a deeper level, our finances can be a trial. Our money might be looking funny. Our employment can be a trial. We may be in pursuit of a relationship and it may not be working out. We may have just broken up from a relationship and we're trying to get back on solid ground. Uh, our family can be a trial. Uh, even internally, we can go through trials in our own fights with insecurities, with fears, and with discouragement. Just living the life of a disciple can be tough to persevere every day, to try to be a light, to try to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We don't need to be discouraged, family. Or lose hope because our faith is being tested because God is making us complete. Um, just let that rock for a second. 
So literally, a year ago, you see the date down at the bottom, uh, 10 16 last year, I got laid off my job. And I, I had just proposed. Uh, so you can imagine what I was feeling. It's just not, it's just not the time. It's not the time, guys. It's just why now? Like, <laughs> um, you know, I had faith that day. I'm like, yo, cool. Guy works through all things for the good those who love him. But it was tough. In the following weeks and months, where I had to, I had to pray. I had to wrestle. I had to really uh, fight for my faith. I had to work with insecurities about my own confidence as a man, uh, my own confidence as just in my craft as a whole. Um, you know, the temptation during that time was to start to think that I lacked something. But God, in His Word, says that I have gained. Through my trials, it just means that God is molding me. It doesn't mean that I'm less than, it doesn't mean that I'm missing something, it doesn't mean that I'm incomplete. God's word tells me that he is making me mature and complete through the things that I go through. In closing, I just want to add this scripture, or this, this quote. It says, adversity introduces a person to themselves. Which is very true. But in Christ, adversity is the spiritual fertilizer that God uses to complete us. So in closing, family... What will you do with that dash in between? We can live a full life because God is making us complete. Use your life to the full. Pursue spiritual friendships and persevere. I want to pass the mic to a very good friend of mine, Greg Sejourne. I'm going to talk about being complete. Picture here. 
This was me as a baby. I was born on July 23rd, 1986. I was 8 pounds, 4 ounces. It's funny, my mom always told me that uh, when I was born, as soon as I came out the womb, when, I, when the doctors put me in her arms, the first thing I did was just open my mouth and close. Open my mouth and close. Because I was looking for food, apparently. That hasn't changed 33 years later. But, it's just amazing just how God knits us together in our mom's womb. You know, I'm not an expert at knitting, but I know that it takes time to knit something together. You know, some people, you know, they're, they're, they're pros at it, you know, but it's intricate. You know, when I look up the definition of complete, you know, the definition, it says, uh, is defined as something that is thorough, entire, total, and undivided. And God was very thorough when he created you. He didn't just snap his finger and boom, you know, you're created. He took his time because he knew that what he was creating was great. He was very thorough. Now, to be honest, you know, being a single man, sometimes I can feel like I'm not complete because I don't got a wife. I'm like, I don't have anybody to complete me. I'm like, come on. I know I'm not the only one that has thought about that. Come on, can I be real for a second? You know, I would pray. I'm like, Lord, I've been disciples for 18 years. I've served your kingdom 18 years. Where is she? But amen, but is that the true definition of being complete? Let's turn over to another scripture. In 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, starting in verse 13. It reads, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We are complete because we have his spirit. God lives in us. I love the end of the scripture where it says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Do you know that we are going to be the closest representation of Jesus that people will ever come across. We're the closest representation that anybody in this earth will ever be able to connect Jesus to. How do we handle that? Now, just because we are complete, 
It doesn't mean that we should stop growing. I don't want you to hear what Greg said. I'm complete. So I don't have to do anything anymore. I'm perfect. We should always strive to better ourselves, to improve ourselves. That leads me to my second point. Improving yourself. Now, what are the ways that we can improve ourselves? Well, I feel like we can improve ourselves spiritually, but then we also can improve ourselves outwardly as well. Now, number one, in order for us to improve yourself spiritually, we need to read the Bible. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Are you devoted to reading the Bible daily? We need to make an effort to open our Bibles daily, guys. If you don't like reading, then listen to the Bible. Listen to sermons online. Listen to podcasts. Do what you have to do to get the Word inside of you. You know, instead of hearing Showtime in the subway cars, put your headphones on and listen to the Word. Amen? Number two, improving yourself spiritually, pray. Are we praying daily? Let's turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Starting in verse 16, it says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How often are we praying, guys? Are we going to God every day? Are we giving Him thanks? You know, God wants to hear from us on a regular basis because we have a relationship with Him. It's not a one-way street. We need to go to Him. When things are tough, when things are going great, we need to go to, go to Him every single time. How often are you praying? Number three. Number three. Improving yourself spiritually. Serve. Are you guys serving? Got scripture for that. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Alright. Starting verse 7. It says, Serve wholeheartedly as if you are serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one. For whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. If someone were to ask you what were your role in the churches, how would you answer? How do you serve your region? How do you serve your singles ministry? We need to figure out ways we can serve our church. I know for me, like my character really develops serving. And Lord knows he's taught me so much patience serving in Long Island <laughs> in the singles ministry. Amen? I, I love I love the singles in Long Island. I love them dearly. But man, they teach me patience. <laughs> but they refine, they refine my character. And I think by serving, it really refines us. It really shows us just how important we are, that how we can contribute. 
to the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Alright, now, can we talk for real as a family? Alright, I love you guys. Can we talk though? Now, I talked about some spiritual ways that we can improve ourselves. Now, let's talk about some ways we can improve ourselves out of it. And the first thing is to dress to impress. Alright, everybody's <laughs> Does your closet need an upgrade? Yeah. And I know for me, like, <laughs> I know for me, clothing and, and outfits and style, like, that wasn't the most important thing to me, you know, growing up. I definitely feel like now, over the years, it's definitely more important uh, to care about what I wear and to look good, to look presentable. And I'm not saying to buy expensive clothes. There's a lot of clothes that are affordable that looks great. You know, I don't care if it's boo-boo or, or Burberry or not Burberry. But as long as it looks good, who cares? At the end of the day, people are not going to care what name brand is. But as long as it looks good, hey, it's encouraging. It encourages, it attracts, it makes the, our church attractive. When we care about what we wear. And I'm not saying to, to go crazy. Let's be modest as well, amen? Yeah. And there's some great clothing that's modest. But let's really think about how we can improve our wardrobe. Amen? Yeah. Next one. Self-care. Are we taking showers every day? Are we brushing our teeth? Are we getting haircuts regularly? For people who have hair, you know? <laughs> are, we, are we taking care of ourselves? Are we getting, you know, manicures, pedicures, facials? I mean, I have to admit, you know, once in a while I like to put on the mud mask, you know? Go be a great day! I want that good skin, you feel me? I want that good skin. <laughs> Well, let's take care of ourselves. Next one. Stay active. Now, this is something clearly I need to grow in. But, we need to stay active. I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday. But are we exercising? Yeah, actually, a, a few months ago, I recently bought a workout bike. So I can stay motivated, so I can stay active, so I can be fit. Uh, you know, we really want to make sure that we're healthy, guys. That we're really taking care of ourselves. You know, we can take care of ourselves spiritually, inwardly, but also take care of ourselves outwardly as well. I'm going to wrap this up here so my good old friend Ugo can come up here. But think about this. If we do these things, you'll feel complete on the inside and the outside. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them you are complete. Amen. Alright, now, I mean, you guys are so encouraging. You guys are like going around in different roads. I just said the person next to you. Now, 
I want you to say to yourself that I am complete. Amen. I want to encourage you guys, let's remind ourselves regularly that we are complete. Now, I'm going to hand off the mic to my good friend, Ugo Ezra. get him situated in the hospital, and um, we, you know, I get home like 1.30 a.m., we got Devo the next day, and I get to Devo, and I'm just like, because uh, I serve as a, uh, as a musical director, um, which is just a fancy title for I Steal Ideas from Greg, and uh, <laughs> that's just a joke, Greg doesn't have any good ideas, and I, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I told him I was going to make one joke about him, I just said, okay, that's it, I love him. So what happens is I get to Devo, and I don't feel like being there. I'm just overcome. And then Greg just hugs me. Listen, I'm like 6'2", 250 pounds, but I need a hug, and I need to feel protected too. And that's what he was there for. And um, he put his arm around me during the, uh, just the, the worship meeting, and I, I was like, man, this guy has my back, you know, and the day, then the day of my dad's funeral, Tim arrives up to the house early, and um, he just said, whatever, he's like, whatever you need, whatever you need, and um, these guys have been there for me, through it all, from funerals to engagements to weddings, these are my brothers, man, so I was talking about the friendship, so the name of my message today is Hold On. Now, I don't have any fancy slides like uh, Tim and, and Greg because I was trying to get that worship stuff situated. So, if it's basic tech, that's what we got. Yes, hold on. Hold on. Turn to your neighbor, tell them to hold on. Hold on. Now, turn to the neighbor you ignore and say, hold on. Now, what we're going to do in this message, we're going to fly through a synopsis of Peter and his interaction with Jesus. And then we're going to bring it to show how it relates to us. We down for that? Cool. We got to go fast. All right. So, a little background information. Israel 
and the and the, the Jewish people, uh, by the time Jesus and Peter are born, they have been conquered for about a millennia, which is a thousand years, by different different peoples. So they haven't been able to govern themselves and live as as how they want. Now, so they've been conquered by the Canaanites, you know that from the Bible, Babylonians, uh, Greeks, Romans, Persians. There was a hundred year span where they did govern themselves. They end up splitting in two different regions and then infighting starts. It gets so bad that people are selling the high priesthood. Selling So by the time we meet Peter and Jesus in the story, Rome is now taking over. And if we know anything about Romans, they are efficient in torture and sending messages to people. They are living in a military-occupied region. It's not like going outside today, you go do what you want. It's even worse where you would go to the temple to worship. And overlooking the temple is a guard tower of Romans to make sure you stay in line. Now what the people of Israel are waiting for is a king to come overthrow these Romans. Get them out. And that is why you have so many incidents of many riots. Remember Simon the Zealot? The Zealot. Even Barabbas, who they call to be an insurrectionist. What does that mean? Someone who starts riots. This is happening over and over and over again. So these men were born into a powder keg. And now since we set that stage, we can dive in. So, Jesus meets Peter. And they develop a relationship. Peter is fiery, unschooled, gritty fisherman from around the way. And Jesus is this growing rock star. Spiritual rock star. This new rabbi. And rumors about him have been buzzing around. They seem to be true. Jesus is is different from the others. And almost overnight, Peter goes from being a no-name fisherman to one of Jesus' crew. Peter's goals in life used to be to catch fish. Now, new goals catch men spiritually. And maybe he thinks helping build a new empire for his people. Peter is beginning to take part in something much larger than him that gives him renewed purpose. And the crowds are growing. Oh, they're growing. Peter and the guys can help do miracles now, too. Imagine you going through your day. Imagine you're going to work tomorrow. Then imagine you maybe four months from now doing miracles, healing people. I'm an oncology nurse. I would love that. I don't see that happening for me, though. But for Peter and the guys, it did. And remember, we're not just talking about characters in the book. We're talking about people. This is history we're, we're talking about. This ain't, this, ain't, this ain't a little bedtime story. All right. 
Peter is now standing at the foot of what could be the biggest revolution in the history of Jerusalem. If anyone can overthrow the Roman government, it's him. It's Jesus, right? See, Peter, Peter, he's seen it all. He's seen it all. Jesus walking on water, raising the dead to life, speaking to Moses and Elijah on a mountaintop. He's seeing this. And not only that, the clouds started to rumble, and he's not sure what he heard was true, what he believed to hear. God talking to Jesus? About Jesus? He would think he was crazy that the other disciples didn't hear it too. And there are the witnesses. So he can't be crazy. But this all seems good. Jesus could overthrow Rome, but there's a problem brewing. There's a big, there's a big problem. Every time Peter brings up the idea of ruling Jerusalem to Jesus, Jesus keeps talking about a bigger purpose. What could be more important than saving your people, Jesus? Maybe that's something Peter started thinking. And after a while, things begin to change. Jesus seems a lot more quiet at times. It's sad. He starts looking at them and speaking to them like someone who knows a heaviness that the rest of them just don't understand. Peter is getting increasingly concerned because Jesus is now openly and often speaking about his own death. Peter thinks, no, this can't be the plan. Jesus can't die. He needs to be king first. Rome must go. You have to set things right, Jesus. Don't you see the way we're living? Don't you see the way we're dying? You can't leave. Peter regains his composure. And then finally, one day, Peter can't take it anymore. He hears Jesus talking about dying to his disciples again. And Peter thinks, okay, that's enough. Let's turn to Matthew 16, 21 to 23. I know you're waiting for some scriptures. We're going to do it now. We're going to do it now. We're going to do it now. Got in trouble now. All right. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Two best friends are yelling at each other. That happens from time to time. But their words cut each other deeply. But one is right. And the other is the other is Peter. <laughs> and imagine Peter having experienced what he experienced with Jesus and the forces of darkness. He has Jesus called 
but looks at him, and he looks through him. Satan? Me? No, Jesus, you, you, don't, you don't get it. I was just trying to... Maybe, maybe I don't get it. Have you ever been there where you thought you understood what God wanted for your life? Yeah. You just yeah. wrong? And you spend all the time blaming God, and, but then you think for a second, maybe, maybe I don't get this. Turn to your neighbor and say, hold on. Say, hold on, Peter, hold on. Amen. Peter, hold on, brother, please. Please hold on. Peter is trying to snap, oh, fast forward to the garden. Peter is trying to stay awake, but he is just too exhausted from grief. He's never seen Jesus this sad and afraid before. Jesus is falling and stumbling and in tears. His soul is troubled to the point of death. Peter maybe thinks, is this, is this really happening? Judas arrives. The betrayal. The kiss. Peter draws his sword to defend Jesus, to defend his last, the last hope of Israel, to defend his Lord, to defend his friend. His closest friend. Let's turn to Matthew 26, 52 to 54. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father, the thousands of angels, to protect us? And he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And then we know how the story goes from there. Judas' betrayal. Peter's betrayal. And then weeping. Peter weeping. <coughs> Peter doesn't know what to think. Messiah or not, he knows he abandoned Jesus when Jesus needed him the most. And there's no coming back from that, Peter. Because Jesus is gone. Jesus is dead. This was never supposed to happen like this. Say, hold on, Peter. Turn to your neighbor and say, hold on. Amen, amen, amen. A light appears. A resurrection occurs. An angel speaks. Turn to Mark 16, 6-7. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Tell his disciples and who? Peter. No, no, no. Tell his disciples and who? He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will seek him, just as he told you. Peter, still considered worthy. 
so special to Jesus. But Peter doesn't think so. He may need some convincing. Many days later, Peter decides to go fishing, to go back to what he knows, and the, uh, the fellas decide, all right, well, we'll go with you. They're out on the boat. Then John sees someone standing on shore. And instantly, they know. And they all know. John yells, it's the Lord! And Peter, who decided to go fishing in the first place, jumps out of the boat and swims with all of his life back to shore and leave the guys to bring this stuff in. <laughs> they eat breakfast. But there's an elephant, shout out to Tim, in the room. The other guys are waiting for someone to start the hard talk. Jesus does. He always does. Turn to John 21, 17 and 19. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, to feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And Jesus told him, follow me. Follow me. Just like old times. Just like when they first met. It's like they never missed a beat. Peter was back. Not just because he held on, he held on to Jesus. See, sometimes it's not just enough to hold on. What are we holding on to? Are we holding on to expectations of what we thought it would be? No. Are we holding on to what we think, what we see in front of us? No. He held on to Jesus. And just recently, I had my morning conversation with Jesus where he told me once again, follow me. Yeah. And it's not that I stopped. But things were very different for me. Last year, as I was alluding to, I was taking care of my dad as he was dying from cancer. Walked with him, sat with him, prayed with him, held his hand, visited up until the end. And that does something to you. Yeah. And now I'm really going to speak to people who have hurt, not just losing someone, maybe self-doubt, right. maybe just, you just don't have it in you. Mm. And it wasn't only that, that's enough, you would think. I'm finishing up a nursing program that's accelerating. I gotta take this test that will define what happens to me. Because if I don't pass my first time around, I knew my dad had a finite timeline. I, so I moved up my test date. I took it on a Monday. It was originally on a Saturday. And I said, I don't think my mom, I can't. If my dad dies before I take this test, I'm not gonna pass it. 
I won, and I knew it. I moved on my test date till Monday. CJ and I went to go visit Kristen. CJ and I went to go visit him on a Wednesday. Uh, and then we found out that day that I passed. I passed. But he was very idle, very close. You know. We didn't, he left. I came back on a Friday, and all that morning I was deciding. I, I didn't feel like going. I was like, I'm, I've been a good enough son. You know, and I'm like, I'm calling CJ on the phone. I don't feel like going as I'm getting dressed. I don't feel like going. I'm backing up my car. You know, I really don't feel like going as I'm driving, man. I really don't feel like driving down this road. And, and I show up and I sit next to my dad, who's looking elsewhere at this point. Um, I sit down and I say, uh, I passed. And um, I'm a full on nurse and I accepted that job. And I go home. And then we get a call, CJ picked up the phone on that Saturday, and the look she gave me, I knew what it was. My dad had passed. You take that situation. I started a new nursing job in a toxic environment. And with the situation, I'm missing more church services than I've ever missed in my nine years as a disciple. Within that 10 month span, I missed more church services. And you think, well, it's probably not going to do anything to me. You'll be wrong. 100% you're wrong. And I say that with love. You are wrong. I was wrong. And it's not that I willingly wanted to do it. If you're a nurse, or you've been around the medical field, the health field, or just a person, you know, sometimes you don't got a choice. Man, I was making more money than I ever made, but I was miserable. Making more money than I ever made. I tell you that. <laughs> True. But I was miserable. We got the engagement ring, but I was. And it was so sad, it was so scary. Because I ended up talking to CJ after the fact that she said uh, she started to wonder if this is who I really was. I was just dark. You know me smiling, laughing, jumping around on stage to worship music. I wasn't in me anymore. I would read my Bible. I'd get nothing. I would sit in, sit in on church on a Sunday and I'd listen and I'd get nothing. I'd listen to worship music and I'd get nothing. Until one day I get a text message from Sarah Middlecoff. If you're from Manhattan, you know Sarah Middlecoff. I want you to hug her for me every time you see her. You hug that woman. You hug that woman. Don't be aggressive, like, you know. Don't run up there like, whoa. I'm texting my sister when I'm at work about how much I hate my job. I was getting stomach ulcers. I was getting gout flare-ups. I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't seeing CJ, I was miserable, and I see a text message from Sarah Nikolov. Are you interested in coming in to interview for this job, this nursing job? Which is way out of my experience level. And normally I would have said, no, let me do what I gotta do here, and just suffer, because sometimes we like to just suffer, people just suffer, perseverance, long suffering, so let me suffer. I was done suffering. I was like, listen, enough suffering. 
I go, I interview, I get the job on the spot. It's not, and it's above my experience level. I take it. And that Monday, right? Because maybe you know, two weeks later, it's a Monday morning. I'm bringing this thing to a close end. It's a Monday morning. I open up my computer to fill out some paperwork. Um, and I put on worship music like I generally do. Because even if I'm not feeling anything, at least I would, I know, let me, someone will show me, if, you, if you're, you're not feeling anything, but you're not doing your Bible, bro, you're, I got his message, you know. So I put on worship music, expecting nothing, but let me just fill out the paperwork. And then out of nowhere, I felt this light. And it was like, say, hold on, Hugo. Say, hold on, Hugo. Man, I felt that light come back that I remember missing. I felt like, bit of myself again. And as that light began to expand, I just started crying. Not crying because I was sad, but I was so joyful. I was like, God, even still? Even after all? because it's something I have to find out the hard way. And it's probably something you know. Maybe you just need to hear that encouragement to, to just hold on. I don't know what your life circumstances are. But if you've been going through some hard times, I'm sorry it's been like that. If things haven't gone the way you expected, I, I, I'm sorry. But I, I want to encourage you to hold on. And I'll leave you with this. No matter how far we fall or drift, Jesus will be standing at the shore, waiting for you to swim back to him. And if you're too far out to swim back, or you can't even swim on your own, he will come walk. He will come walk on water to find you, to save you, and complete you. Thank you.